went to, went to the beach for vacation. It was fun. Um, I'm not particularly a beach guy. Um, don't really don't really enjoy the the sand getting all over your body and the the salty ocean water mixing with that and you know throw in the I don't know ten shark bites that's happened in the last month and you know that's pretty much a recipe for me saying I'm good I don't really need to go to the beach but nonetheless my family enjoys the beach so uh, I um, went for this week and it was fun now. As I was uh, hanging out, walking around on the beach and kind of checking stuff out, I noticed a couple things. Like, there's there's a few different types of people that go to the beach. Number one, there's the non-beach people, like myself, who could care less. And and they're, you know, just kind of staying away, reading a book or, or whatever, just, you know, don't don't care. Then there's your, your like, vacationer beach people um, my son is one of those. He's two, and he's nuts. And you put him on the beach, and he's like, and he takes off running. And his goal is to get away. Like, doesn't matter, doesn't matter, what, like, away from what, doesn't matter. Just get away, and that's what he does. He just runs 100 miles a minute, and he's all over the place. And Lily's building sandcastles, and, you know, and Liam's kicking them down and throwing sand at her. And, uh, I mean, all they're just having fun, whatever. But there's, like, your vac- vacationer-type people. And they're playing, having fun, all that kind of stuff. Then there's the lifeguards on the beach. And, and I've noticed, essentially, that, that that's what the beach is comprised of. There's vacationers, and then there's lifeguards. And the lifeguards are doing something very different than what the vacationers are doing. Now, I'm not talking like, you know, David Hasselhoff, shirt off, bronzer, you know, uh, oil all over them, and they're, you know, running in slow motion, uh, at people, they're they're like actual real lifeguards, not like the TV show, and 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 they're watching. I was just kind of taken in, like, what do the lifeguards do? They guard lives, right? What are, what are they doing? They're they're scanning the beach. They're they're watching what's happening uh, on on their watch, right? And and they're walking around. They're sitting up at the tower. They're kind of checking stuff out. And, uh, and I just, I kind of noticed that as I was there, had a lot of time to, to think this week and, and it was a good, a good break. Um, so keep that in mind. All right. Kind of keep that, that picture in mind as we talk through this, uh, this first chapter of Nehemiah, I'm going to attempt to get through an entire chapter. So we're going to be here for about an hour and a half ish, more so maybe two hours, but, um, it'll be fine. Golden Corral still open. Um, so here's what we're going to do. We're just going to just burn through this. And I just want to talk through just a few things really quickly to kind of illustrate the point. All right. So it says this in Nehemiah chapter one, it says the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev. All right. Kislev, the month of Kislev is mid-November to mid-December. So keep that in mind. It's kind of a winter season there. It's not like freezing like it is here over in that area of the world, but but it's still their winter season. Stuff doesn't grow very much. It's kind of a sowing time uh, by their agricultural calendar, so kind of keep that in mind. Um, it says, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel. Okay, so this is Nehemiah speaking. He's in Susa, which is the one of the capitals of Persia at the time, and he's in the citadel, which means he is in the like most fortified place in the whole city. 
The Citadel was essentially the king's winter palace. This is where he went to in the wintertime. Okay, so he's with in the king's area, all right, which means he's doing something in connection to the king. And it says, so he was there in Susa, in Citadel, um, uh, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem. All right, so let's, let's kind of unpack this for just a second. First off, the nation of Israel does not exist at this point in history. Okay, there's no governmental system. There's, you can't go to visit the nation of Israel. It's not a country. Basically, Israel, the Jewish people, had been in, had been captured and enslaved and removed from their homes for the last 400-plus years at this particular point in history. Okay, they had been taken over by the uh, Assyrians, and then they were taken over by the Babylonians, and now they're taken over by the Persians. So three different countries have come in and basically taken Israel over. And what they did is they took all of the Jews and they displaced most of them. They took them all back to their home countries, and they enslaved them. All right, now, when they enslaved them, that doesn't mean that they, you know, made them live in, uh, in a jail cell their whole time. They, they basically let them have jobs, uh, but they worked in different areas of servitude, which is what Nehemiah is doing at this point. He's working for the king, okay? And some of them got to be really high, important levels uh, in the governmental system, but Nehemiah is working for the king of Persia, okay? It's likely because they've been enslaved for over 400 years. Nehemiah has never even been to Israel, never seen it, never seen Jerusalem. He might know about it. Now, I don't know. That's just my interpretation of it. But that is what's going on at this moment. Okay, so Nehemiah, who is a Jew, goes to one of his brothers and says, what's going on in Jerusalem? How's Judah? How's the nation of Israel? How are they? It was a simple question about people and a place, a place that was dear to his heart, in a people group that was dear to his heart. And they said this in verse 3. It says, they said to me, the remnant there, so the few that are left in Jerusalem, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. They're in trouble and they're in shame. In the Hebrew, the shame, shame means basically to be naked. So they're uncovered. They're, they're naked it says the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Talk about taking the conversation to a whole different level, all right? Maybe you've, ever, maybe you've been in one of these situations before where you go, hey, um, hey, man, how's life? How's things going? And then that person, like, unloads on you. I just lost my job. I, uh, I, my my uh, uh, best friend got cancer and died. Um, you know, whatever, I, my marriage is in shambles. Like they throw up on you. Have you ever been in that situation? You just, you're just asking a simple question. Hey, how's, how's Israel? How's Judah? Well, to be real, the walls are broken down. They're in shame. They're naked, basically. Um, they've got nothing. And, and like, like talk about like one of those moments, like an old crap kind of moment. That's what I feel in that, 
in that sense is that there are times in our lives where we're just asking a simple question, hey, man, how's life? And then that person throws up on you, like all this stuff. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I, what I wanted was the American answer. What's the American answer? It's good. Life's good. I've said, I've said good literally 125 times since I've been in this building. Hey, man, how's it going? I'm good. I'm good. How's life? I'm good. It's good. Life's good. Everything's good. It's fine. You know? Reality is, is that's what we tell ourselves. What if? What if we actually got real? Like with people. Like we actually told people what was actually going on in our life. Hey, man, how's life? Instead of saying I'm good, well, actually, my life's not that good. My marriage is falling apart. I lost my job. I got cancer. Somebody died. Whatever it is, fill in the blank. Sometimes life might really be good, and I hope it is. America has taught us we're conditioned to think that we're okay and to act like we're okay and to give the appearance that everything is okay. Guess what? It's okay to not be okay. Did you know that? Like, I'm not saying that I'm going to stand up here on this stage and I'm just going to throw up on all of you and give you all of my crap and everything that's going on in my life. But what if we all positioned ourselves around people who love us, who love God, who care about us, and when things did hit, when walls of our lives, the places that were protected, got knocked down and we got exposed, what if people were there to help us? See, what I'm trying to advocate is changing our mentality from being a vacationer in this life to being a lifeguard. We're called as followers of Jesus to be lifeguards on this beach. That is what God is asking of us. And sometimes it comes from a simple question. Hey, man, how's it going? What if you really took the time to look beyond the good? Hey, life's good. To actually look into the eyes of somebody that you know and love. To really get into their life. Like, what's going on? Tell me your story. How really are you doing? You see, the walls of a city symbolized protection. It symbolized providence. It symbolized support. There are walls in our lives. We need, and I know a lot of times we talk about it in a negative sense, like you build up walls, but in reality, there's also walls that, that God has given us that provide protection. In a city, back in this day, if you didn't have a wall around that city, it was basically open to all kinds of attacks. In Ephesians 6, it says that God has given us spiritual armor to actually fight against the struggles of this world. He's given us the ability to build good walls, good places of safety and protection. So I want to tell you, if your walls are broken down, you're in trouble. And the thing not to do <laughs> is going around saying, I'm good. Life's good. It's time that as the church, we got real. What if you got honest with where you're at and people actually started doing something about it? 
and we quit just saying, hey, man, life's fine. Everything's okay. Broken walls and broken lives are all around us. Many times the opportunity for a mission is birthed by just asking the question, how are you doing? Because you see, it's what we do next with this information that determines whether or not we're vacationers or whether we're lifeguards. When someone does throw up on you and they give you all of their junk that's going on, if you go, okay, brother, I'll pray for you. Take care. Take care. Good job. Hope that works out for you. We just walked on as a vacationer in the beach of our life. But what happened? What would happen if we actually did something about it? That's what I want to look at what Nehemiah does with this information. So think about this in terms of your life. There are people in need all around you. And God has positioned us on the beach as a lifeguard to be able to speak into this person, the person, the people that are around you to speak into their lives. We've got to learn how to have a missional mindset. All right, you're going to hear me say this a bunch in the next few weeks. Mission drives vision. Mission drives vision. It's not the other way around. So many times in life, we like to go, okay, God, give me something. Like, if you'll just give me a little little bit, bit of information, God, if you just give me a little something, just give me a vision, God, I don't know what my purpose is here on this earth. I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to sit here, and, and I don't know what to do. And, man, I'm just going to keep working my job and keep doing my thing. And, and, God, if you would just give me a vision, just give one day, if you just give me something, man, I'll be a super Christian. I'll do anything. Just give me a vision. I don't know what to do with my life. What happened if you started being missional right now? Like, do you, how many, raise your hand if you know somebody that doesn't know Jesus. It's like, like safe to say pretty much we all know somebody that doesn't know Jesus. We have a mission. On the beach of your life, there is someone connected to you in your circle that is going to hell. They're drowning in the ocean and they're dying. We're given the opportunity to either get off the lifeguard stand and come down to the water and identify with them and help them, or we can go, hey, I'm on vacation, guys. It's been fun. I like to see you drowning over there. I hope somebody, pastor, get one of the pastors. One of the pastors can come. He knows what to do. No. (laughs) We're not called to do that. So what does Nehemiah do? I want to use this as a template for our life. It says this, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. All right, so watch the progression of what happens here. You have weeping, mourning, fasting, and praying. Weeping, mourning, fasting, praying. All right, there's a whole lot of stuff going on here but hardly any of it is measurable. Hardly any of what happened for days, Nehemiah says. And I want to kind of jump to the the next chapter just for a moment. When, when, When Nehemiah actually starts rebuilding the wall, actually starts going to work and doing work, it was five months between the time that he asked this question, how's Jerusalem, to the time that he actually went and started rebuilding the walls. Five months. 
I haven't waited for five months on almost on hardly anything. The longest thing I've ever waited for was my child. <laughs> and I didn't have a choice on that one. Like I had to wait. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I'm, we're, we're in a culture that, that is, is designed to like instantly gratify and instantly drive and instantly do things. What if when someone came to you on the beach of your life and they said, Hey, I'm drowning and you didn't have an answer. Like, what if you didn't provide a solution and and try to fix their problem and immediately start working to try to get them out, but you actually identified with where they are? I've never been addicted to crack cocaine. But on the beach of my life in downtown High Point, there are people that are addicted. So my job is to, to walk with them, to identify with them. I've never been a prostitute. Hopefully I don't ever go down that road. It's apparently not fun. But I pray that God would help me understand what it means to be in a position where I would have to sell my body to be able to pay for my kids to have clothing and food. I don't understand that world. But God's called me there. So I want to encourage you, before you just jump in and start doing, which is what America tells us to do, what if you first identify? Like, what if you actually, like a lifeguard, went into the water? A lot of times we like to stand back, right? Like, like the water is out there and the person's drowning and we're on, on the lifeguard stand, a.k.a. our church, and we take the, the, the uh, what's that thing called, the, the little floaty life preserver. We take the life preserver and we go, whew, hope it gets them. Hey, if you come to our church... If you come to the lifeguard stand over here, you'll get saved. I know you can't swim, and I know you don't know how to swim over here, but let me just throw this over. If you just come on, you can just come. Hope that works out for you. No. What if as a lifeguard in our world we actually went into the water? I'm not saying go do crack cocaine, all right? I'm not saying go sell your body. I'm not saying to, to get deep into and, and like be do the same things that the person is doing. What I'm saying is what if we identified with them? As a follower of Jesus, that's what we're called to do. We're called to weep and fast and pray and mourn and feel people's pain. When's the last time you wept and mourned and fasted and prayed for anything? I had to check myself on this. It's been a minute. Like when downtown first started, that was something that was regular. Like I was regularly broken. And I had to literally like get back on my face and, 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 and re like confess that I've screwed up. Like I'm I'm not where I where I was a few months ago. I gotta get back into that. Instead of being focused so much on doing and doing and doing and working and working, what if the real work was the prayer? Because it is. Example I shared um uh first service, there's a uh there's a, a guy that comes downtown regularly, and, and he, he, he said, uh, I, I want to pray for my nephew because he's, he's far from the Lord, and, and he, he doesn't know the Lord, and, um, and he, he's, he lives in another state. No, none of you guys know him, but he's just, he doesn't know Jesus, and I, I really want him to know Jesus. I want him to meet Jesus, and I don't, I don't know what to do. I just, I just know that what we got to do is pray for him. 
Because in, in, in 2 Corinthians 10, it says that there's a spiritual war that is going on, that, that we're not fighting a battle of flesh and blood. And God has actually given us divine spiritual arsenal to go up against those spiritual war, the spiritual darkness that's going on. We have divine weapons, and prayer is one of them. Fasting is one of them. So that day, Tuesday night, we prayed for this dude. We prayed for this guy that we don't even know. Guess what? Wednesday morning, guy gets a text message from his nephew saying, dude, I got to go to church. My life is messed up, and I'm, I, I, I got to find a church. Like, we don't, you don't, that stuff doesn't just, like, happen. We asked God to intervene on his behalf with a spiritual weapon. And the dude didn't even know it. Like, it's an unfair advantage. God has given us this unfair advantage in the fight. We have this spiritual arsenal. And guess what? None of it's measurable. I can't measure prayer. I can't measure fasting and and weeping and mourning. I can't measure identifying with people and feeling their pain. I can measure building, and I can measure doing. Let's stop doing and start praying. Start identifying. If we start with that first, then everything else falls into place. Think on this. We cannot rebuild ruins without first becoming greatly concerned about the ruins. If someone's life is broken and you don't care, you're not going to do anything about it. You're not even going to be turned to pray for them. But if someone's life is broken and you're greatly concerned about that person, then you're going to think about it. You're going to go to battle for them. You're going to pray for them. You're going to think, what in the world can I do? How, how can I be a part? God, please let me be a part. Like, that's what I pray for downtown. Like, that's part of my mission. God, please let me be a part of these people's lives. They don't even want us. They don't want me to be a part. Let me be a part. Help me to be missional. Help me to understand that we've got to be on mission. We've got to be broken. We've got to be seeking. So many times we think being on mission means packing up your stuff and going to Africa. What if you didn't pack up your stuff and you stayed where you were at and you actually lived for Jesus and like Jesus right here, right now? Like, what if we did that? I'm not saying we're not. I'm just saying, what if we truly begin to care for people, for brokenness, for lostness? Unfortunately, most of the time, the only time we really care is when the ruins are actually our life. Like when something, when we get a direct hit, like when we lose our job or our marriage falls apart or, you know, we get cancer or someone dies or fill in the blank, whatever tragedy you want to say, whenever we get a direct hit, that's when we hit our knees, right? And that's when we pray and that's when we mourn and that's when we weep and we cry out for God to help. What if we developed a habit of going to war on people's behalf? identifying with people. That's what it means to have a missional mindset. So what I want to do is just look really quickly at what Nehemiah does. In verse 5, this is what it looks like to mourn over the brokenness and the ruins of people. He says, I said to the Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenants and steadfast love um, with those who love him and keeps his commandments, let your ear be attentive 
attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night, get this, for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted corruptly against you, and we have not kept the commandments and the statutes and the rules that you gave your your, uh, servant Moses. Not only does Nehemiah intercede for people, but he confesses. In order for us to actually make a turn in our life, we have to own up to our mess. And we have to help others own up to their mess. The person who is living in sin, like continually banging their head up against the wall, doing the same stupid thing, expecting the same stupid results, like ruining their life day in and day out, the way to help them is not to beat them over the head with a Bible and say, hey, you're going to hell, did you know that? From our ivory tower, guard tower over here. Maybe if I hit them in the head with a life preserver. Hey, you're going to hell. Do you know that? God's going to condemn you. What if? Oops, I just knocked somebody's water over. Sorry about that. What if we went after people and we connected with them and we prayed for them and we helped them just by saying, hey, how's life? How's it going for you? Oh, your marriage is in shambles? How's that going for you? It's that simple. It's not judgmental. It's not condemning. How is your life? I promise you, when people are are messed up and drowning, they know it. If you've ever drowned before or you've ever been caught up in an undercurrent, you know. You know when you can't breathe, right? It's not hard. People know when something's not right. All you got to do is just connect to them and walk with them and help them turn and get out of where they are at. And it starts by interceding, by praying for them, and by helping them confess what is going on in their life. Now remember, no measurable work has been done yet. This whole thing, five months, Nehemiah prays and fasts and mourns and weeps, doesn't do anything other than that. So there's nothing physically actually happening. There's this spiritual battle that's taking place and Nehemiah is going to war. That is what we got to do. So he goes on. He says this, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you're unfaithful, I'll scatter you among the people. So guess what? Israel was scattered. (laughs) They screwed up. They were unfaithful. God scattered them across all the nations. Their nation did not exist. So there's tons of, of people of Israel just all over the known world at this time. They had been scattered. But Nehemiah remembered in Deuteronomy 30, it says, but if you return to me and you keep my commandments and go do them, through your, through your outcasts, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. Guess what? One of the things that we have to do as followers of Jesus is remember the promises of God. We have to remember who we serve. Guess what? You are not the superhero in the story. As lifeguards, lifeguards aren't superheroes. Lifeguards are human beings that help other human beings that are drowning. The only difference between the lifeguard and the person drowning is the fact that the lifeguard is on the beach safe and they are trained. The person in the water is not trained and they're dying. So as followers of Jesus, part of what we have to do is remember that the superhero of the story is Jesus. 
It's God coming down, and our job is to help let other people see that. When we go into the water, Jesus helps bring them out. When we go into the depths of people's lives, if we go alone, we'll get swept up in the current. But if we go empowered by the Holy Spirit, Jesus does the heavy lifting. Because you see, there's an X factor that we don't have, and it's this. Nehemiah says, O Lord, in verse 11, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and to give success to your servant today and grant mercy to him in the sight of this man. See, Nehemiah worked for the king. He knew that there was no way that he was going to be able to drop what he was doing and go over to Jerusalem and start rebuilding the wall by himself, and he was going to be able to do anything measurable. He knew that the only way that the walls were going to be rebuilt in the city of Jerusalem, the only way that health was going to be restored, is if God himself made it happen. We have to understand as lifeguards, the only way that we can go into people's lives is if God Almighty shows up in the depths while we're with them and does something miraculous that we can't do. We're out of control. Nehemiah, the last statement, I love this, in in chapter 1 he says, now I was a cupbearer to the king. Cupbearer meant he tasted the wine to make sure it wasn't poisoned. Honestly, it was a a fairly good position And what he realized is that he had been positioned by God to have the ear of the king of Persia who could assist him in getting the walls rebuilt. Guess what, guys? We're cupbearers of the king. We have the ear of the king. Every single one of us in this room is positioned to have divine favor by the God of creation. We're called to be rescuers. We're not called to be vacationers. We're called to go after the lost, but we cannot do it alone. So many times we sit and pray and say, God, give me a vision. Give me something. God, let me do something. And then when we do try, sometimes we go on and we just go and do without even thinking that we need to invite God into the story. And the whole time, God is going, hey, I'd like to help. In fact, I can take care of it. The sickness that that person has, you know, I can heal it. Better yet, I might actually have a reason why they're sick. That person who lost their job, I can get them a new job right now. Better yet, there might be a reason why they've lost their job. And as lifeguards, our job is to help them see God in the picture. So I'm telling you, we all have the ear of the king. We all have divine favor. If you're a follower of Jesus today, our call It's not to sit on the beach and sulk or to sit up in our tower and wish that all the the lost and the drowning would just get saved and that the world would get better. Our job is to utilize the unfair advantage that God has given us. 
this fight's not fair. I don't know if you heard the first song that we sang this morning, but it said God's already won. That's it. The battle is over. It's done. All we have to do is just say, God, I want to be empowered by you. I want to be used in such a way, God, that you get glory for my life. If you're a follower of him, it's what he's calling you to. So here's what I want to do. First off, everybody bow your head and close your eyes. I want you to chew on this for a minute. If, um, if, if you feel like you're the one drowning, all right, you're, you're in the deep right now, and, and it's in over your head. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you're not, but, but you, have, you, you know that you're drowning, and you found yourself in this moment, and, it, and it's intense, and, and you, don't, you don't know what to do or how to get out. Um, I, I want to I encourage you in this moment, okay? There are tons of people that would love to pray for you and with you, and guess what? You have the God of the universe on your side. If you're in the deep right now and you need prayer, I would encourage you in this moment, just raise your hand. I just want to, yeah. I just want to know how we can pray for you. Thank you. Right on. Yeah. All right. Here's the next one. We've got to learn to be Nehemiah's. If you're a follower of Jesus in this room, you, we've got to learn to be missional. So I, w- I want to encourage you. Maybe you've been vacationing on the beach for far too long. Maybe you've been hanging out in the tower for far too long. Maybe you've been sleeping on the job or whatever it is, fill in the blank. I want to encourage you. Today is the day to get into the beach and to go into the water, to be willing to go to the depths with people. You have people on your beach that need to be identified with, that need to know the love of a Savior, and you might be the person that God wants to empower to do that. So if you want to say, man, I want to be missional. I I want to know what it means to be a missional follower of Jesus, to get off into the water, to go to the depths of people. If that's you today, raise your hand. We want to pray with you. Yes. Right on. That's awesome. Praise Jesus. God, we love you. And we want to live for you. You know, I just pray, God, that you would just empower us in this moment, Jesus. As we sing this last song, Lord, that, that God, we would just know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the battle is already won. It's already taken care of, God. All we have to do is just step into the freedom that you give us. Help us to be willing to go.